Welcome to Both Sides TV. I'm super excited to finally convince Ryan Hoover from Product Hunt to come down to Los Angeles. I did originally promise you Phil's coffee, but you know it didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, yeah. I actually might go right after this to Phil's because I, I checked on the map. It's like a three-minute drive. I can, yeah. I can do that. Actually, yeah. it's about a four-minute walk. Okay. And Even it's better. just down the road. Even it's better. four blocks from here, and it's right by our new offices that we're planning to move into. Perfect. But I think these days you're pretty well known. How does that feel? Does, is it strange to like, do you ever go out in San Francisco and people are like, hey, that's the product hunt guy? It does happen sometimes. And the first time it happened, it was actually, the first moment where it really hit me was actually at a club and someone looked behind and, and stared at me and said, product hunt guy? And yeah. I was like, it was really weird. And I was dancing with some friends and I yeah. was like, this is strange. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's unusual, but you, you, you've been around this too, yeah. I mean, especially in LA. Uh, when I come to LA, there's like LA, I'm learning about its startup scene and VC scene, and everyone knows you if they know startups. Um, so you but probably. It's, it's funny for me because, in all honesty, I mean, you know, if you blog and you're a public figure, people start to know you, but it's actually doing video that people think they know you more because yeah. they get to hear you speak, they yeah. see you, they feel like they know you. If I'm uh, on University Ave or if I'm in South of Market, almost always I get pulled aside. So mm -hmm. you must be getting some of that because you're reasonably visible. Yeah, and Twitter is, and you use Twitter heavily yep. as well, and writing is, is one way to like almost network at scale in some ways or like connect with so many people at scale versus going to events. You can only see so many people when you go to events. Do you, you know? find the fact that you're starting to become more of a public figure, more recognizable, and Product Hunt itself has some influence over the tech industry right now. Mm -hmm. Do you have to change it all? Do you have to be more conscious of it? Do you have yeah. to cut off after a couple more drinks than you otherwise would have? I'm very aware because now my actions also represent other people, my team, yeah. uh, my investors to an extent. And so I'm very much aware of what I do and more self-conscious. Um, that said, I'm, I believe I generally am not like a crazy person. So yeah. um, I'm a low liability, yeah. <laughs> that's what I tell my investors, I think. Um, but yeah, it is kind of strange. I do have to be aware of that. Yeah. Um, and the I, same thing for you, though. I mean, you, you get pulled aside all the time and people are pitching you, right? Yeah. All the time. That's one thing that I get frustrated with. I mean, I understand why people are pitching, but it always feels so transactional. Yeah. When I meet someone and they come up and they're like, hey, let me tell you about my product. And I'm like, I, I want to all meet you. I'll talk to you, but I don't need to hear about your everyone's product. And it's, yeah. you know. I, but this is what I try to honestly, Ryan, guide people on, you know, it's probably overdone by now, but I wrote this analogy of I invest in lines, not dots, which yeah. is more about like long-term relationships. And that's how I've always tried to treat my life and my interactions with people is, let's say I meet you and I think, oh, it'd be good to get something on Product Hunt or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, my feeling is better to establish rapport in the first meeting and then mm -hmm. find a second authentic reason for us to connect mm -hmm. so that by the time that I may have something useful to you or something where you could be helpful to me, we already have that established relationship. Yeah, yeah. and that's how Product Hunt started in, in the beginning. I reached out to a lot of these people who were influencers in the startup scene or investors that I already knew that had a relationship with me and they were willing to like hear me out and try Product Hunt and give it a How chance. did they have a relationship with you? Some of them was just people I, so writing and, and you have been blogging yeah. for several years 
is one of the best ways to connect with so many people and share your thoughts. And as you continue doing that over and over and over, people start respecting you even just a tiny bit, just enough to like take a meeting. Yeah. And so having written before Product Hunt started for a while and, and being on Twitter and engaging people that way and building those relationships that allowed me to then just like meet these people in, in real life. See, or, I don't know you as the Product Hunt guy. I know you as the yeah. Playhaven guy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I feel like yeah. when we first started interacting, you were at Playhaven and, mm -hmm. and this is a great thing about social network, like you, politely engage with people. I saw you do it even before you were Product Hunt Guy. And uh, I should stop calling you Product Hunt Guy. <laughs> but, but, but it really has become such an iconic website. Mm -hmm. um, and what I found is, so I, I want to click on people's bios just to see who is this person who I'm talking right. to who seems to be intelligent and say reasonable things. Mm -hmm. And I saw Playhaven and I had an investment in Bursley at the time. Oh, really? So oh, yeah, yeah. instantly oh. I thought, oh, this isn't a category that I'm interested in. Let me see what I can learn from mm -hmm. Ryan. And I feel like that's available to people who put in the effort online. But mm -hmm. when people just want to go straight to pitch the business, it's a turnoff to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. And there's actually, there's some people that uh, so I'm gonna Jeff Needles. Uh, mm -hmm. He's someone who I've gotten to know um, a little bit over the past like couple months now. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for him. He actually cold emailed me and just asked for advice. He read one of my blog posts, uh, the post actually that I wrote when I was leaving Playhaven and why I decided to leave. And he reached out and just asked for advice. And I casually responded just quickly to his email. And over several like couple months now, he's he's really proven himself. He's left his company. Uh, at Twit, the TV network, he actually joined Meerkat, right. and he's like one example of someone who's really been helpful and supportive of what I've do been doing. Um, and I genuinely want to help him because I think he's he's actively like trying to change his and, and move into what he wants to do. And, and he's your, done that. your blog for anyone who's watching? Yeah, it's RyanHoover.me. Okay, uh, but so I've been posting a lot of Medium as well. Okay. And you haven't really been using Medium as much, have you? Do you know I'm going to try so. to use it more? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually my preferred. I don't always use uh, Medium, but when yeah. I do, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. my it's my preferred blogging platform. Actually, if mm -hmm. I could choose anything, it would be Medium. So for me personally, uh, controlling the URL matters. Yeah, and I'm mm -hmm. told that Medium now will allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but the only reason I didn't switch over was that I wanted to control both sides of the table as a right. URL. But the editing experience is so much better than WordPress. In all oh, honesty, yes. no, yeah. not picking on WordPress, but the editing experience is better. The ability to integrate graphics or have inline quotes. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it is the ability to comment just on paragraphs rather than at yeah. the end. So I find it to be the best platform out there. I, mm -hmm. in all likelihood, will migrate. And in yeah. fact, they've offered to help me. So once they help me, I'll actually do it. Yeah, I mean, they've built a really fascinating platform on top of writing. So like before we had Blogger and we've had independent blogs and they're not connected. There's no social graph tied to them. And I think what Medium has done in building this uh, place where anyone can write, but then connections between articles and people is really fascinating. Um, there's actually a lot of parallels between Product Hunt and Medium uh, in many different ways in terms of collections and content curation and discovery and all that. And so it's, it's something that I've personally used and have a lot of appreciation for. You know, it's interesting. I, I, in fact, I just wrote about this. I, the idea of Medium for me is the closest to experience I want as a writer, which is the mm -hmm. ability to engage on discrete ideas. So if mm -hmm. I write 20 paragraphs, we can engage just on five of them. Yeah. What I found is that tweet storms actually work pretty well for that if mm -hmm. you're good at them. You have to be thoughtful about what, what each line is. But mm -hmm. if you write a 12 tweet tweet storm, 
people can interact on each thing you say. And right. in a way, it's there's an analogy there with Medium, but Twitter never develops its product. So mm -hmm. like here's this great opportunity for them to develop an engaging, you know, because you remember when it started, it was supposed to be microblogging. Right. But they don't seem right. to have developed it, you know. Well, yes, and at the same time, Twitter is investing in acquiring companies, Periscope, of course, being the most prominent in, in recent acquisition. Uh, to expand sort of its its mission of some sort of like real-time communication. Um, and I think that's fascinating. You've been using Meerkat and Periscope. Yep. What are your thoughts? Like, what do you think about live video? Um, I'm a huge believer in live video. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, going to be enormous. Um, <clears throat> so far, um, I've liked different parts of each of them. What I've liked about Meerkat, and, you know, we talked about before the camera went on. I haven't mm -hmm. used it in a few weeks, so maybe yeah. this has changed. But yeah. Meerkat makes it easier to do what I want to do. I want to engage the audience. Mm -hmm. I want anybody to be able to ask me a question and feel like they can get it answered and have access. And that accessibility is what I love about Meerkat. Mm -hmm. um, Periscope doesn't allow that. So it's like the comments scroll off the screen so fast, I can't, I can't control the thread. Yeah. Um, it also maxes out at some number of people. I yeah, think a lot of these 200 people. 250 or something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. And and so for me, Meerkat has suited my use better, not criticizing Periscope. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing that Periscope does is stupid feature, but it allows you to zoom in. And so I could zoom in on yeah. things, and for whatever reason, Meerkat That's like the UFO yet. feature, the, the way I like to yeah. think of it. Because you know when you zoom in, it's always like grainy and yeah, looks yeah, kind of awkward. Yeah. It's like it's filming a UFO There in the you sky. go. Yeah. Uh, Meerkat, <laughs> you need to have the UFO feature. UFO feature, um, yeah. <laughs> but I've actually gone on record as saying, I think the thing that represents the future the most is the one people talk about the least. What's that? You now. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you now is the one Silicon Valley doesn't talk about. Mm -hmm. And they don't talk about it because it doesn't represent how most of us interact in our lives. Mm -hmm. You now is for the lonely person in Skokie or Sarasota, mm -hmm. uh, or Eugene, Oregon, mm -hmm. who doesn't have immediate access to crowds of other people because they're in remote areas. Mm -hmm. They're in their bedrooms late at night doing what people do. They're lonely, they're bored, they want to connect, they want to flirt. Mm -hmm. And I watch these kids, not in the way you're thinking, but as an example, and, and it reminds me of YouTube in the earliest days. YouTube mm -hmm. in the earliest days, people criticized it because it seemed so unpolished. Mm -hmm. But that authenticity of what you find on you now is what I think is going to work the most. I didn't try you now until uh, Meerkat and Periscope started blowing up, actually, because I'm like, okay, what is, I'm going to explore more live streaming apps. And so I opened up you now, and this is going to sound weird, but I was just like in bed, like just yeah. scrolling through apps. And I opened up you now, and there's this guy in his bedroom dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and there are 800 people watching him yeah. and throwing uh, like some virtual gifts at him and everything. And I felt compelled to to keep watching. Yeah. I'm like, why am I watching this guy dance by himself in his yeah. bedroom, and along with 800 other people? And so it's you now has been around for what five six years? Yeah, or for a while. Yeah. You know, did you? I, uh, you may be too young for this, but did you ever see the Howard Stern movie about how Howard Stern became famous? I did not. My parents, I don't think, wanted me to watch Howard Stern. I think that's why I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> he just invoked a my parents on me. Uh, uh, <laughs> you asked for it. So no, I did. But um, so I, I actually, I'm not a huge Howard Stern listener. Mm -hmm. He's not my taste. 
but it's a wonderful film and you really should watch it and it shows why he emerged. Mm -hmm. And in the earliest days, it reminds me of what you're saying about you now. And again, if you really want to understand products, I think it's a great film to watch. Mm -hmm. Just like I think actually, I'll actually say it out loud, Justin Bieber's Never Say Never is great for product people. Mm. Um, but Howard Stern in particular, um, you were listening to it and people were repulsed by it, mm -hmm. but they couldn't stop listening. Right. They're like, did he really just say that? And they kept yep. listening. And that's you now. It's like you're seeing this person dance in the bedroom, but wait, is he really doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's it's the power the, of live. And, and the piece of live that's most compelling that makes it so unique is that it's participatory. And that's something that, that Ben from Meerkat has been really talking about a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and Kayvon from Periscope, in that you can change the narrative and you can ask questions and you can. Uh, you know, ask them what's in their fridge, which is this meme that, that popped up on Periscope yes. in the early days. And that's something that we haven't really had uh, very much of. You know, movies are something that's scripted. You can't change that. Yeah, and so the idea of, I mean, it's the ultimate reality TV because mm -hmm. reality TV on linear TV is unreality TV. Yeah. I mean, it basically is scripted. Like, the actual storyline, I know because I have a friend who's, wife was considering going on the show mm. they actually have the right to change your life your narrative anything and you have to sign it away but yeah but live casting is it's the ultimate reality yeah so there's this i was reviewing a contract for this um reality tv show um that i might just be having an appearance on and i read through it and i was like i don't know if i feel comfortable signing this because i don't know what it's going to depict me as it, yes. it could be anything so they get to yeah. create the character that you are exactly um, so speaking about Meerkat, let's use that as a segue to talk about Product Hunt. Mm -hmm. You played a pretty influential role in the emergence of Meerkat. Why don't you talk about how Meerkat emerged on Product Hunt, why you became fascinated about it, where you found it, and how mm -hmm. your original uses, because it was basically you and Danielle that made me discover it. Talk about the Meerkat mm -hmm. experience for Product Hunt. Yeah, so Meerkat, I didn't know about Meerkat until it hit Product Hunt, so it wasn't something that we knew was coming. Um, uh, but I actually looked, looked at my email inbox and someone tried to introduce me to Ben, which I um, didn't make the connection. But anyway, it, it appeared on Meerkat that morning, or on per Periscope, on Product Hunt that morning. Yeah. And I started playing with it. And the first the tagline was, uh, I think the tagline at the time was something like a Twitter button live video or something like that. It was really compelling. And so I, I tried it out and immediately it grabbed my attention, in part because I have at least personally a big enough following on Twitter that when I hit that button, now I have immediate people watching. Yeah. And there's this really weird feeling that I haven't felt in other <clears throat> products where you're like, whoa, people are watching me. It's like this really weird voyeuristic kind of performance. Um, and so that grabbed me. And so I started using it every now and then. And then, of course, Daniel Morell was also using it heavily. And were you dancing and in your bedroom? I was not dancing <laughs> in my bedroom, no. Um, see, I got to be like, I got to be careful with what I do. Remember we were talking about yes. this. Um, and so for me, immediately, you know, when you see a product and it feels different, it feels new. Yeah. Meerkat certainly was that. It feels new. And then thinking more about it, there's a number of different things that have happened over the past few years or so that has really made it work. And part of it is, of course, like live, live video is, is actually possible with broadband. Yeah. Uh, these cameras are actually pretty damn good in our pockets. Um, people are so much more willing to show their face thanks to things like Snapchat, like the behavior of selfies and, and sharing things publicly is now more acceptable than it was before. Yeah. And so all of these different things are now that's, this is why Periscope, this is why Meerkat are taking off. 
And this is why VCs like yourself and others are looking at these spaces and saying, wow, live video is actually like a new revolution, new opportunity. It's funny for me, I'll just say, Ryan, this is um, very authentically what I love about Meerkat is I really do want to be accessible. Yeah. I really do want to ask, answer any question, like wacky or not. Mm -hmm. I remember what it's like not to have access. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if some kid in Mumbai or someone in you know, Kuala Lumpur or someone just in Bakersfield mm -hmm. feels like they got a moment just to ask what they wanted to ask and I answered it, not just being like pat myself on the back, but I feel like that's the kind of access people crave. It's almost like when you speak on stage and the line forms for people to talk to you afterwards, mm -hmm. it's a bizarre feeling like, why do they really want to shake your hand and talk yeah. to you for 45 seconds? And they all ask for the same thing. Mm -hmm. They all want your business card. <laughs> I feel like business cards are like an autograph or I haven't, something. You know? I haven't made business cards yet. I kind of am averse to them, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, but... by the way, I hate them too, but yeah. I realized like you can't speak on stage without business cards because yeah. it's like a collector's item it or is, something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so I feel like I wanted that accessibility. Mm -hmm. I feel, that's why I really like Meerkat more than Peer, Peer, Periscope. Peercat, uh, Periscope <laughs> is is that exactly like mm -hmm. it doesn't. Periscope hasn't yet built in the functionality for me to do what I want to do. Um, I did a I did a Reddit AMA, mm -hmm. which was uh, a really great experience, and I stayed for like two and a half hours. Yeah, and I used a product that I invested in uh, called VidMe. And we videotaped it, oh, and yeah. we put video uh, AMAs, which I thought was great. It was like yeah. it was not live That's casting, really cool. but it was, and it, and it created a permanent record for mm -hmm. everyone's question. They could ask anything. And so get you responded response. to their questions in video uh -huh. form. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that functionality went really well. And Reddit's now promoting VidMe a bit more to do mm -hmm. more video-based AMAs. Yeah. Um, well, the other great thing about live video, specifically, is it's also so there's this like migration of of the way people are interacting with with consumers and regular people and it's changing more and more like blogging is actually one of those platforms and movements that has allowed anyone to kind of speak and tell their voice but at the same time blogging is you you go over your words you you massage them it's it's like very well curated then there's twitter which is a little bit more free form that's one way to directly interact with people but then live video you can't take back the words you say. It's like right. off the cuff. You can't edit those words. And so it's even more direct. It's even more intimate. It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. And I think it also can drive normal consumption. One of the things I tried to point out to people was Jimmy Fallon, when he shot himself on Meerkat practicing for the show, which was like a behind the scenes kind yeah. of experience you could never really have, yeah. right? Which I, I loved. I'm such a huge Jimmy Fallon fan. But then I wanted to tune in that night because I wanted to see what it looked like real, right? Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of interesting things that'll come out of it. Mm -hmm. But but talk about how did it blow up? I mean, it got on Product Hunt. People obviously liked it, mm -hmm. and then people look to you and they see you using it, and they see Danielle using it, and then more people start using yeah. it. But how did it emerge? Yeah. So it's it's um it's a combination of one a good product and and a good product, an innovative, interesting product, a product that feels new, which yeah. is kind of a vague, weird thing to say, but like. There's so many products we see, and they all kind of a lot of them feel very, um, they feel the same as many yeah. others that we played with. But Meerkat felt really new, and then it was also the combination of just the number of people seeing it all at once. Yeah. So on Product Hunt, it's very dense within the startup world, and so and also a lot of journalists use it. So when they see something on Product Hunt, something compelling like Meerkat, a lot of journalists from TechCrunch to Business Insider and so on, they also write about it. So it's all of this; these eyeballs are going at the thing at the same time. And and are the 
journals, journalists now, is it like I start my day by looking at what's on Product Hunt to get ideas about what to write about? Do you see that behavior? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of journalists using it for that. They've, they've been using uh, other sources too, of course, like Twitter, Hacker News, Reddit, and other platforms to find things to write about, and Product Hunt is part of that that for them. In fact, uh, someone, a journalist a long time, she was really early on in Product Hunt, uh, maybe in the first like month or two was on it. She, she said at one point, like, I liked Product Hunt when it was like, no one knew about it, because it was like my little place to find gems that, that I could write about that no one else yeah. saw. So. Yeah, I remember years ago seeing uh, this t-shirt, which was two concent or overlapping circles, mm -hmm. that you call them concentric circles, and on one side it said, uh, music I love, mm -hmm. And then the other side said, music you love. And the overlapping bit said, music I used to love. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like tech innovators, tech innovators and our industry loves to feel like that we know about something that isn't mass. And once it becomes mass, yeah. like we start to drift away from it somewhat, I think. Yeah, we're, we're all kind of tech hipsters in some ways. Um, That's a and, good way of putting it, tech yeah. hipster. Yeah. And also, when it comes to like investing too, like where do you? Maybe I'm going taking the conversation in a different direction, but I'm curious, where do you look? So journalists are looking at product and other sources to find things to write about. Investors have a lot of overlap in what journalists are looking for too. Where do you look to find deals and, and I, things I, like that? You know, every VC, every investor must be different. Mm -hmm. um, I have one really trusted source that is almost the only thing I care about is other founder referrals. Mm. And it has to be a founder that I think authentically has an interest in reaching out to me. Mm -hmm. I am really averse. I'm really averse to accelerator pitches. Hmm. Um, if I go see a company when it's early in an accelerator and I feel like I saw it before other people, maybe. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying being an accelerator is bad. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm there on demo day with 65 other or 165 yeah. or 365 other investors, like... Yeah. What's unique to me other than either I pay the highest price, I hustle the hardest, not really, mm -hmm. um, or I'm the sucker because no one else wanted to fund it and it's mm -hmm. just, you know. Is that part of the reason why you're in LA? In that you, you there's a less competition or less people it's in this area? It's not why I'm in LA, but it's why I enjoy LA. Mm -hmm. I'm outside the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. I'm in LA for a simple reason. Um, the fund that I now run um, when I joined, I joined as a partner, but I wasn't mm -hmm. running it at the time. And my idea was to come here for two years because mm -hmm. I promised my wife she'd never had to live in L.A. Mm -hmm. She really did not want to live in L.A. And I was going to come back and open a Silicon Valley office. That was the plan. And about mm -hmm. nine months in, two things happened. One is I realized just how much vibrancy there was in L.A., how mm -hmm. diverse it was. I mean, I had lived mm -hmm. here before, by the way. I was here from yeah. 91 to 94 and I had just moved down from Silicon Valley. And, and Silicon Valley felt too monocultural to me. And it's not a huge criticism. I come from Northern California, but mm. I love the diversity of thought, of idea, of people. Yeah. And it was a really vibrant startup community. And I did think, my God, I have this playground virtually to myself. I mean, there are other VCs here, but not that many. Right. And if I go open an office on Sand Hill Road or equivalent, there's 80 other firms, each with eight partners. So call mm. it, you know, 600 to 700 other VCs and I'm competing yeah. with all of them. Why yeah. do that? Yeah. So that, that was a large part of it. And mm. then my wife fell in love with LA. Yeah. She never thought she would, but it's a great, it's a wonderful place. Yeah. I haven't been here since I was, I think 20 or so okay. uh, until just recently. So I've been seeing the city a bit and this is just beautiful. You're in Santa Monica. Yeah. Um, it's beaches right over there. 
I could I could see myself moving here, but I do love SF. Yeah, yeah I, no, I, I, I do too. I do <laughs> yeah. too, and I don't want to be down on SF, but I yeah. will tell you that like what I really enjoy, why I'm really here, when I go to school functions with my kids, I have a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, it's writers mm-hmm. and electricians, and uh, you'll see people who are editors. Like we get a lot of film editors. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of... I mean, it's not financial services people. You get people with all sorts of different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have Cuba Gooding Jr. and yeah. Molly Ringwald and all this stuff. But, like, honestly, like, that industry part of the West Side, it's, it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Palo Alto, it was, like, all tech. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how it felt to me. So, yeah. anyway, I've really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm in Northern California every month. So, yeah. I feel like I still have access. Mm-hmm. Um, but turning it back on you... So product hunt has become, it's, it's almost like what TechCrunch was when TechCrunch emerged. I mean, mm-hmm. forget what TechCrunch is today. It's a pure media company. But when it emerged, and I remember it, remember it very well in 2006, in 2007, mm-hmm. in 2008, it really was the place for startups to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Isn't that somewhat what the role of product hunt is right now? Yeah, very much so. It's, it's also a place that's not limited to the people who have are funding like, these aren't just startups actually these are just projects some right. some hacks that some uh, woman or man put together over weekend in some cases that people like and our ultimate goal is like our, our what we're trying to do is is really drive product discovery that's what we're trying to do and that involves all types of people and all types of uh, companies and individuals making things and we're also building a platform that hopefully can service the things that are most interesting um, independent of all, all of that so I think TechCrunch is interesting. I, I wasn't following TechCrunch in the very beginning uh, of its days, but they had some, I mean, they were very small, of course, in the beginning, like we, yeah. we are relative to, to um, where we're going longer term. And they also did a lot of community meetups and had more community aspects, I think, to TechCrunch. And that's been a big part of Product Hunt's success so far as well. What did you think Product Hunt was? You, you left Playhaven before you created it. Did you do evenings and weekends? Yeah. What did you imagine when you said, I'm just going to take the plunge? Well, so it was, I had an interesting transition. I had a very fortunate transition, actually, in that I, I decided I was at Playhaven for three years. Yeah. And uh, long story short is I just decided it was time to move on. I was kind of losing interest for what we were building. I was wanting to build something for myself. I have always wanted to start a company, but I was never one to say, like, I need to start a company. I'm going to whiteboard it until I do. Like, I, this just, I don't think it's a good like, reason to start a company. Um, so it was during that transition where I switched to part-time, and then I was just experimenting with some ideas and some things. And um, that gave me financial freedom to then still make some money and pay my rent while then working on things for about four or five months. And the beginning of Product Hunt was just an email list. So it was actually not like an idea for a startup per se. It was just, I love sharing new products. Me and my friends oftentimes talk about new apps that we're playing with. Um, like Meerkat is something that everyone is talking about, you know, uh, right now. And that's like the type of conversation we want to move online. And I didn't know of a place online to do that. So it started off as an email list. And then from there, it was just this organic kind of growth that happened. Um, reached out to my buddy Nathan. We built it into a site. And then it was like a four-month transition where I realized, okay, what do I do with this thing? It seems to be working. I, I can see where it's going. Um, I had the big question of do we turn it into like a, a lifestyle business? We were making about four or five K a month in job revenue okay. for just like this little project, which is great. So we could easily turn that into like 20 K a month and own everything um, or build a team and, and take it in a different direction. Um, so long story short, when YC raised a seed round, uh, then uh, Andreessen Hortz led the, the A round right after YC. 
What do you think you got out of Y Combinator? What was the most important one or two things that you got out of it? Yeah, you know, Y Combinator is, it's, so when it's over, it's not over, is, is what I tell people. And what I mean by that is, I still have access to the partners. I can still schedule office hours. There's still this huge network of founders that really, it, it's, like, it's like a fraternity or sorority where mm -hmm. you reach out to your, your fraternity brothers years down the road and they still have this bond with you, even though you may have never met. And so it's this huge network that has these all these network effects that help. And so even though it's over, I still have access and we have access to that, that network to help us in the future. Um, part of it is just a number of like small things. So it's for people who are, Y Combinator is one of those things that if you can get in and take advantage of that, in most cases, almost everyone should, uh, unless they're far, far along in the, the stage of their startup. But the people who can get the most value, in my opinion, are even those who are not in the startup world. When you're in Y Combinator, they immediately uh, equip you with the knowledge of like how to raise money and, and how to do number of things from product to growth and everything. But the access that they give you immediately is, is phenomenal. So it's a huge, I mean, accelerator is like the best word for it because it absolutely accelerates your growth and your trajectory of your company. And to some extent, I'm guessing, I mean, you hit, like Meerkat, you had the right product at the right time that the market was really looking for. So you can't, if you don't have the right product at the right time, you can't be part of a club that suddenly takes off. But, mm -hmm. but given that you had the right product, the right market, the right time, the right amount of traction, I'm guessing it also accelerated your access to capital because in mm -hmm. a way you had this imprimatur of like, you know, Y Combinator coming mm -hmm. out funding wise, right? I mean, there's also, when you're raising money, there's this narrative and this, you, you need to communicate and you need to sell the vision. And also if you can demonstrate over and over and again, progress and part of it's like getting into Y Combinator, raising a seed round, um, launching new things and that kind of thing. So I, I believe, I certainly know that we could have raised money without Y Combinator, but frankly, like our valuation would have been lower. Y Combinator increases that valuation immediately. And then I don't know where product would be without Y Combinator. It's really hard to, to guess. Right. Um, I think we'd still be successful and be running, but maybe not as successful. It's hard to say. And uh, when you came out, you raised around pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, did you need to sell what the business would eventually become, or had you already started? You know, were they willing to say, "Look, as long as you get scale, we'll figure out the economics later." Yeah, yeah. So, <coughs> Mark Indreesen uh, reached out to me. Um, during Y Combinator, about two, two thirds through or so, he reached out and said, hey, you wanna come down? I'd love to just chat and meet. And of course I'm like, okay, I would love to, to meet with you and, and just have a conversation. At the time, I was not thinking of raising a <coughs> round. We raised a million dollar seed round right going into to Y Combinator, so we you had some money. You didn't say to Mark Andreessen, Come on, Mark, can't you wait for demo day? <laughs> well, that's what that's what the partners at YC oftentimes would, then they have a really good point. Like you can kill all of your time meeting with investors. So you have to be very careful with that. But with Mark, I met with him and uh, Jeff Jordan as well. And we just had a casual conversation. And of course he asked one of the questions later in the later in that meeting. He's like, so where, what did, where, you, where are you taking it? And I could, I could tell he was asking a leading question. I, he, he phrased it something along the lines of like, where are you taking it? Are you thinking of other categories of things? And I, he kind of saw and knew where Product Hunt could go. It's not just about technology and tech products, but it could be uh, Product Hunt for everything, Product Hunt for books, movies, yep. games, all mm -hmm. of that. Um, so they immediately understood the vision and the opportunity of Product Hunt. And then they also understand, you know, they're, they're, they've invested in a number of things from Genius to Reddit and, mm -hmm. and BuzzFeed, which all have like similarities to Product Hunt in some ways, um, Pinterest as well. 
they Pinterest is not until more recently like monetized and they've been around for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, so they are aligned with the fact that we, for us to succeed long-term, be a really big, successful business, we need to first just grow our audience and grow our product and not focus so much on revenue. That said, we're, we're thinking about revenue. It's not something that we're like totally ignoring, but we're not investing all of our focus on that right they now. They could see how if you build these micro-verticals uh, and built successful communities around endemic audiences across multiple verticals that eventually there's a lot of mm -hmm. money that could be made from that. Yeah. The other interesting thing I'll just point out too in that is we, even though we may not build the most big audience, at least in the short to medium term, building very focused audiences in a certain category is super powerful. So Eric Reese launched his um, new book uh, on a Kickstarter and it was on Product Hunt and we drove five to six times more sales than any other publication, like including Wall Street Journal, from our audience. And now yeah. Wall Street Journal is huge, it's massive, but our audience is focused. so focused. Yeah. Now imagine a, a very focused community around video games and around books and movies that are really into the very specific thing that it people are It is my investment thesis. Yeah. I invest in endemic audiences where you have creators that want to connect with fans and interested parties mm -hmm. and where people create platforms for those people to connect. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what I invest in. And, you know, I haven't so much yet to date invested in tech people connecting with each other, mm -hmm. but I've certainly done it in TV and film and games. Yeah. Um, and I, I very much believe in that thesis. Mm -hmm. But your story about Y Combinator kind of proves my internal or maybe doesn't prove but validates my internal thesis mm -hmm. i think y combinator is great for people who get in mm -hmm. great for the networking uh great for alumni um great for giving you the tools and equipping you mm -hmm. what i think it's not good for is investors who turn up on demo day and i've always said it's a mugs game if you turn up on demo day expecting to find stuff to fund you're a fool Mm -hmm. because the best companies coming through Y Combinator are always going to get cherry-picked, not just by Mark Andreessen, but mm -hmm. Sequoia and everyone. There are people in the Valley who have access, and they'll look through who's in this class, yeah. and they'll pick out the best ones. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing them on stage, you already know the best stuff's been picked over, mm -hmm. <clears throat> let alone if that company comes to you six months or four months or two months after demo day and didn't get funded, That's I mean, you're signal. really talking yeah. about the most picked over of companies. Now, by the way, I wanna be clear, that doesn't mean you're not gonna build a great business, right? right? So I, look, you know, sometimes investors just don't get it. Mm -hmm. Airbnb, like a lot of investors didn't get it. So I'm not saying you can't be successful, but I just think as an investor, you'd be a fool to go to Y Combinator demo day, having never met the company before, mm -hmm. try to compete and win that deal and think you're getting a beauty prize. Yeah, it's more and more investors that I've spoken with seem to be going further in the funnel, deeper in the funnel. And, and what I mean by that is they're they're looking to colleges and actually looking at talent before people have started companies. And So just so you know, yeah. at my alma mater, which is a fantastic engineering school, UC San Diego, mm -hmm. we set up an incubator on campus. Oh, really? Yeah. We're funding companies. We've offered a million dollars over the next five years, and we will fund students while they're in school. Mm. The reason I thought it was important, and I'll just be honest, I stole the idea from First Round Capital. You know, I set up an accelerator in L.A. called Launchpad 
Well, there was no accelerators in town. Mm -hmm. Y Combinator was still pretty new. I mean, it had existed. I definitely noticed it. But Idea Lab was here for many years before Y Combinator, mm -hmm. so the concept itself was never new. Uh, Techstars was just getting started. My idea was let's create a community in LA to be supportive in any way we can of emerging startups. Mm -hmm. But the people that were in there, they were usually 25, 26, 27. They still had a lot of costs. Mm -hmm. And so you really had to still give them like a few hundred thousand dollars, maybe half a million dollars because they had a team of five and everyone had to pay rent or whatever. Yeah. But I thought about students like super technical, fearless because they got nothing to lose. Yeah. Mom yeah. and dad are paying room and board or <laughs> they're putting it on a future account, right? So yeah. like $20,000, what could $20,000 do for a shit hot 19 year old who's got a great idea or who's an engineer or a hacker so I just want to give mm. more money to people like that. I didn't realize you're doing that. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm 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 really passionate about university innovation. Mm -hmm. What do you think about? Are you, have you been following Bloomberg Beta's um, founder uh, future founders initiative? No. Mm -mm. Yeah. The, the short version is they're using uh, with the help of Mattermark, they're actually using data to try and uh, identify future founders, people who are likely to start companies, mm. and building connections and relationships with them and, and events and things like that. And I think that's one example of just a very interesting approach from an investment standpoint. How do you build those relationships and help those people and meet those people before they start startups? And, you know, obviously Peter Thiel was, mm -hmm. you know, very early and loud and active about it. it was, uh, was his 20 under 20 or something like that? Uh, the Thiel Fellowship. Thiel Fellowship, yep. yeah. Like trying yep. to get fun funding people who were young and just mm -hmm. like super bright and and ambitious and I, I applaud that. Um, mm -hmm. So Product Hunt itself now has become a place to launch products. What what succeeds on Product Hunt and what tends not to succeed? Yeah. It gets back to what's relevant. So our audience right now is very focused on tech and startups and that won't always be the case, but that's our core today. So if it's something that is totally irrelevant to that audience, it probably won't get upvoted very much and people won't really gravitate towards it. So there's that piece. Then there's just how do you communicate your product? And this is not just specific to product time, but it's just when you're building a product in general, how do you explain it very simply to people? And this is actually something Y Combinator is like very, very good at training and in, in helping you with. And they, they make you repeat your pitch all the time. Right. Uh, every single week, they actually have you repeat it and describe your product again. And the reason why so many people fail at this is they, they're so deep in their product. They're working on it for months or years, and they know everything about it. And they also know where they're going to be, or they think where they're going to be in five years. And so they want to pitch the big vision. But yeah. realistically, what you need to do is just describe what it does today, very simply, to people who maybe know nothing about your product. So let's hear it. What is Product Hunt? Uh, product Hunt is a place to discover new products, um, new technology products that have not broken out before. So I could probably use work in my pitch. It depends on who I'm no, talking to. No, I wasn't to. trying to put you on the <laughs> spot. Sorry. Yeah. It depends okay. on who I'm talking to. Yeah. If it's someone who, if I want to do the X for Y yeah. uh, and they're in technology, I could, I could say Reddit for, for products. Yeah. And pe people immediately see in a visual of like upvotes and comments and community well, and that kind of thing. Well, as you know, um, I got involved with a product launch on Product Hunt recently. It was a product mm -hmm. called Ferris. Yeah. It's a video shooting application. And it was the single best conversion channel across anything that we did. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of lot of press coverage. We were in all the press, TechCrunch and everywhere else. 
Um, I wrote about it on my blog. They got broad coverage, and Product Hunt converted better than anything. Awesome. And we put a lot cool. of energy into trying to make that. Like, mm -hmm. I made myself accessible. Paul made himself accessible. We answered questions. Yeah. You know, people were saying, why does it do this? Why does it do that? And we just went in there and scrapped it out in the audience. Yeah. It seems like you've really built a community. Mm -hmm. Like people seem, maybe in a positive way, like zealots, like product hunt zealots. Is there? Yeah. Is that true? And and how how has that manifested itself? Yeah, the the core of product hunt success is ultimately the people that use it. Without the people, it's it's worthless. And in fact, the technology is not the challenge, and it's not what makes it work. Um, and we have a lot of people diehard product hunters, like there are people in their Twitter bio <laughs> put product hunters in their bio. Uh, people like Eric Willis, uh, he's been on Product Hunt for over a year. Yeah. He uses it religiously. Uh, he's on it probably as much as I am. But but here's the interesting thing, sorry to cut you off yeah. about Eric, is, um, you know, I don't you, really you know. know of Eric Willis? Or you well, I don't him? know him personally. Yeah. I know him through social media, yeah. like I know a lot of people, but I know, I instantly know who he is. Yeah. Because I wrote on Twitter and I was trying to be authentic, I'm like, Thinking about launching something on Product Hunt, what do you think? And I didn't want to bug you. I didn't want to write to you and say, oh, I want to launch something. So I'm like, hey, community on Twitter, what do you think? Eric mm -hmm. was like the first one to weigh in. You have to do it. Here's how to do it. Let me send you some Love guidelines. It. Yeah. Instantly, we direct message each other. He sent me an email. Here's how to do it. Yeah. It's awesome I mean, to have he, advocates he wrote, like that. He wrote, he kickstarted a book, actually, The Product Hunt Effect, yeah. which is uh, all about community building. And he's launching, I think it's releasing in August or September. And I mean, that's crazy to me like to think someone would write a book about product hunt and communities like tangentially and actually there's two others that kiki and justin have also built these handbooks of product hunt, like how to launch a product hunt, which i think is just amazing um, and not not also to mention like we've had these community meetups across the world happen last night was the fifth toronto meetup led by uh someone in toronto who uh actually met her recently um but it was 300 people arrived, and we had nothing to do with it other than like promoting it and, and sharing it just a little bit and sending them stickers. That's it. So talking about community, so Anil Dash wrote a blog post called, If Your Website is Full of Assholes, It's Your Fault. <laughs> yeah. Hacker News is full of assholes, and I'm sorry to anyone who loves Hacker News. Yeah. Um, it's just filled with vitriol and hate. I mean... I'm willing to speak my mind, so I don't mind if people call bullshit and want to mm -hmm. challenge me. And occasionally, I don't know, I get arrogant like anybody. But the level of like hatred and vitriol that I see on Hacker News makes me never want to spend time there. Yeah. Product Hunt seems to be a very uplifting place, a very mm -hmm. positive place. A, am I right, or is it a bunch of assholes? And B, how have you? How have you? How do you weed out that behavior? Yeah, it's a couple of things, really. It's Part of the reason why our community is generally very supportive is a lot of these people are makers and, and founders themselves. And a lot of people uh, who, well, I should also clarify that not everyone can comment first off. So it's very limited on the number of people that can actually contribute to the discussion. And it's mostly limited to people who are invited by other people in the community or people who have had their products on Product Hunt. And so what that happened, what that means is a lot of people's introduction to Product Hunt or their first like exposure to the community is when their product is on there. And that moment when you're launching a product is, is very scary, but having that kind of general support happen builds this empathy that then carries through in the future so that when other people are launching, they know what it's like when you launch. And that's why there is this positivity around it. So you can somewhat curate who can comment and therefore bad actors are easier to weed out. 
Yes, yes. And it, it, the initial thought was we literally had to do that to begin with because it was me and Nathan working on it on the side as a side project. And so we didn't have any bandwidth to like moderate and deal with spam. But then more importantly, it's really allowed us to slowly build this community rather than opening it up to everyone in the world potentially. Um, it's, it's kind of like when you, you have a party and if you have or a dinner party with friends, like say 10, 10 of your friends, and then 10 other random people come in and join you at dinner, they might be amazing people, but it changes the d dynamic mm -hmm. of that conversation and the tone. And so that's what we want to do is slowly build this, this community. Do you have family. any guidelines about what is acceptable behavior or do you just trust those people to establish norms? Uh, well, a lot of it is going back to the analogy of like a dinner party or a party in general. Like when you go to a party and everyone's acting a certain way, you s most people kind of conform to an extent or they at least like adjust their behavior slightly. They won't go out of the way and be that guy or that woman mm -hmm. uh, disrupting the flow of everything else. So having this momentum of the current discussion helps with that. It kind of cements and creates this like a stakehold of what we stand for. And then a lot of it's just engaging like actively like myself being in the comments and, and demonstrating like what I want to see is not also I don't want to see just like great job congrats like that's not useful for anyone yeah what I really want to see is honest feedback and honest discussion and so some of that could be negative or, or things that are critiques you know it's all in how, but you, how do you encourage that like if someone's like saying nice job well done love you yeah. do you write them and say hey can you do more constructive things yeah or do you just try to Lead by example. Yeah, we. Th so if if anything, we have a, an issue where we have too much positivity sometimes, okay. where we do have too much of that like great job. And a few of the co those comments are fine, but like it, we don't want. It's not useful for anyone to see a yeah. wall of that text. So we're working on that longer term. Uh, we will adjust the comments so that the best comments, as determined by the community and possibly also your social graph, will surface to the top. So there are ways that we can, from a product perspective, encourage more of that, and. And then also from the negative standpoint, we've had a few people say negative things and then sometimes it's just like you just call them out and say, hey, like respectfully, like tell them like this is not this is what not what you should say. So I want to talk a little bit more about communities and upvoting, downvoting type communities. I want to tell you one of my experiences and then hear how you're thinking about addressing mm -hmm. this. So. As an outsider to the tech community, you sort of think this is all democratic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what a great concept. You could go to dig and people could vote up your stories and the best stories right to mm -hmm. the top, rise to the top. And I'm not a very naive person, but I just never really thought about the fact that these systems are all gamed and rigged like anything. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they involve money, mm -hmm. right? Money, control, power. And anytime you involve that, people are going to go to great extremes to try and hack the system. Mm -hmm. So... What used to happen in Dig, which is I found out, is that there was a community of Dig, like bouncers, if you will, yeah. and they were all on instant messaging, mm -hmm. and they would all connect to each other via IM, <coughs> and you weren't part of that. You could submit something on Dig, and it wasn't democratic. It couldn't just yeah. get upvoted, but this group of influential people on IM, they put something into one of these and it was like a ring and they would all yeah. tell each other to upvote it at the same time. And mm -hmm. so they could put anything they wanted. And then some of them started taking money and kickbacks yeah. in order to get stuff on TIG. And I know that behavior exists everywhere. It exists from like gray hat or black hat SEO, creating inbound links to game Google. Yeah. It exists in DIG. Uh, I, I, I'm certain it exists in all these platforms. How do you think about protecting the authenticity and objectivity of Product Hunt? Yeah, that's 
that's a very hard challenge, and especially as we scale. So our ultimate goal, and I, I can say that it's not perfect today, like our, our algorithm and the way that we have people contribute things is not perfect. But our ultimate goal is to create a platform that is democratic, that anyone who builds something interesting and cool as determined by the community will get to the top. Or, or it won't, it'll just fall down to the bottom and, and be hidden. Um, so that's, that's our mission, that's our goal. But what we found is like by limiting the number of people that can post, that's one way in the beginning to short to medium term, scale out and build a quality feed. And if it was completely open, we'd have hundreds and hundreds of products on there that marketers would just completely ruin. So we, that's, that's kind of the intention. We also have things to detect voting rings and other things like that so that if we do have a clearly like a lot of people or, or new accounts upvoting something, it's like very clear this is like being gamed. Right. Yeah. So it's something you're conscious of. It's something you're mm -hmm. trying to, I mean, you can never rule it out completely, right? Yeah. But it will so always happen. I met with uh, Daniel who runs Moderation Hacker News and he gave some really good advice. And part of it was like my, I was like stressing out because we had these fake accounts early on in Product Hunt. Mm -hmm. And I would wake up in the morning at like 5.30 a.m., look at my phone, and I would see these clearly fake accounts upvoting something. And I'm like, oh gosh, again. Yeah. And so I'd manually delete each one, which took like 10 seconds per upvote, because yeah. I had no systems to like right. control this myself. And so I was stressing out and I was getting some of the feedback and how do we deal with uh, spam and, and voting ring detection, all that kind of stuff. And part of his advice was, you know, just first identify like what are the patterns that you're seeing, build systems to block those, but then also realize you're never going to catch 100% of it. Like catching 90% of it is actually fine. Um, right. You're never going to catch it all. So that's just a reality. And and did he talk at all about like hatred and vitriol and how they control that, or did he? Well, I left that other conversation actually. Um, to to Hacker News's credit, they are trying to. Com combat it. They actually released some new guidelines uh, a month or two ago. Okay. The problem is they have so much momentum. Again, I mentioned momentum in a pos positive way and negative way. Uh, it's like a ship, which ship, ship is like moving in a certain direction, really hard to turn that ship, especially as it gets bigger. So for Hacker News, I respect the fact that they're trying to change it, but it's just a really hard challenge with the stage that they're at. It was like dig, like the community takes over and it's hard to change. I mm -hmm. think Here's a difficult topic, and I'm wondering how you think mm -hmm. about it, but like, you know, people actually knowing who you are, like real identity, mm -hmm. like on Hacker News, here's my analogy that I always give people. If you take two human beings in a grocery store, mm -hmm. and we both have carts, and we're both trying to get there first, and you're not really sure who's there, usually you'll say, oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or if you kind of got in front, you'll at least apologize for mm -hmm. it. People, for the most part, societally, are polite and respectful. Mm -hmm. You take those exact same two people in cars, and it's <laughs> like, F you, I can't believe you yeah. bastard, you come out. And you could be like, I don't know, a 70-year-old woman, and they're still doing it, or you're doing it yep. to a 16-year-old like guy who's learning to drive. Yeah. And I worry about that. I worry, that's why I, I had so much animosity towards secret because it really drove that worst behavior of human beings. And on Hacker News, I literally have had death threats. I've had mm -hmm. people say the worst things about me. I'm like, you don't even know me. Like, yeah. I actually yeah. try to write things to be helpful, and you're ascribing things to me. And I guarantee you, if you were sitting here in the room with me, you'd say, oh, he's actually a decent guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, how, it gets... like, how do you think about that real identity? Do you require yeah. real identity, and how do you think about it? Uh, that's that's if we didn't require real identity, product wouldn't work. I don't think so. We right now require Twitter, 
and we only give real people, people that have names, not brands or companies, access to common posts. So that you'll never see a brand or a company posting on Product Hunt. And part of the reason is, is exactly for that. We want people to talk to other people, and that includes just regular consumers, but also the maker, the founder themselves, or the designer of that product talking with people. And it builds that connection and that, that kind of conversation we want to, want to encourage. Um, then kind of getting back to, I, I want to go back to live streaming a little sure. bit. The same kind of thing's true. It's now like face to face. You see these emotions of people, yeah. and that's going to be fascinating to see how that that shifts and how they also change. Uh, right now, there is anonymous accounts on Meerkat and Periscope because you can just right. sign up with any Twitter account. Um, I'm wondering how they're going to deal with that because then it becomes very. Uh, you can be very offended. And but very, you know, you know that's a weird thing. Like I asked, <clears throat> we live casted mm -hmm. Meerkat and Periscope at the same time. Oh yeah. And we were asking people, it was uh, John Frankel and myself from FF Ventures, and he was doing Periscope, I was doing Meerkat. And we asked people, like, what are the differences? What do you see in the community? Mm. And what women said, which I didn't know, is on Periscope, they get a lot more harassed, and much less so on Meerkat. Mm. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if Meerkat requires you to have more value. Oh, you know what mm. it was? When you post on Meerkat, it, it also was posting on Twitter. And I remember their mm. tagline was, what happens on Meerkat stays on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was yeah. a pretty clever line, yeah. like when we were talking about the line yeah. earlier. <laughs> and maybe there's some of that. Maybe it's like if you have a record of what you're saying, it forces you to be more civil. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is empirically true or not, but I do know two different times when I've asked audiences, they've both said women have said Periscope is a little more hostile to them. Mm -hmm. And obviously as a guy, I've never experienced that on either platform. Yeah. My, I, I'm not sure exactly why that is. My assumption could be that the Meerkat audience is more focused on your, your social graph and your Twitter graph, right. at least today. Whereas Periscope, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, it, it's, it's both, I mean, it does focus on your Twitter graph also, but it also promotes and shows uh, live streaming videos that other people, random people you don't know, are streaming. So I think that's maybe where the random people are coming in. What's well, an example of a product that launched on Product Hunt that you saw and you thought, eh? And then all of a sudden it got tons of, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but like something yeah. that got, maybe you didn't think meh, but you yeah. were like, gosh, I didn't know it was going to be so big and it just yeah. like popped. Hmm. I mean, there's, there's this theme of, of products that continually get a lot of attention and maybe this isn't the best ex like answer for your question, but um, there's a lot of things that are focused on helping you build startups or projects that get a lot of attention. Like Pexel, which was a couple weeks ago launched a stock photography search engine, a really easy way to search for free photos that you can use for your projects or your creative products, whatever. And that got over a thousand upvotes in a day. Yeah. Um, things like that seem to get a lot of attention and it's interesting to me. It makes sense because our audience is very focused on that. At the same time, I always wonder like, is there a bigger opportunity in building tools for makers and, and people creating products? Like maybe it's an underserved market, potentially. I don't know. You know, I remember distinctly <clears throat> actually don't spend as much time on the internet per se as I would like to. Mm -hmm. My time on the internet is usually if my wife fell asleep early and it's 10.30 and I'm feeling insomnia and I'll do like 10.30 to two. Yeah. And I try not to leave any uh, footprints or anything that my wife could later come back and find out that I was up at two. So no tweets, you know, mm -hmm. at 1.30 in the morning or No so. favorites either. You got to be careful because like technically you could find that yeah, time stamp for that favorite. Yeah, I think she hasn't figured that out. But... Uh, <laughs> But so, so I, I mean, I do go on product hunt. I enjoy it. 
I don't have as much time to go discover stuff as mm -hmm. I would like, uh, just because my life is getting crazy and busy. But the times that I've gone and just spent time and just looked around, I've always found interesting stuff. I remember um, just randomly seeing exactly what I need, which is, you know, you go on to Netflix and you're like, well, what should I watch? I want to mm -hmm. watch a film or you go on to Amazon Instant Streaming and you want to watch something. Mm -hmm. And my wife refuses to do that because she's like, Mark, you're going to spend an hour looking to find the perfect yeah. thing to watch for a 90 minute movie. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I found this product. I can't remember what it was called on Product Hunt. That was I know what you're talking about. I'm forgetting the name problem. too. Yeah. Um, and I guess like for me, if I could come to Product Hunt with more purpose because I have less time just to say, well, what's hot today? Right. And if I could say, you know what? I really want to find a product that does X. Mm, yeah. And I could really narrow down my search. And I guess to some extent, the App Store does that for you on on an iOS environment. Like, mm -hmm. how do you think about that? Yeah, so Product Hunt initially in its core, I guess, design right now is for lean back discovery and, mm -hmm. and you go there and you're like, what's what's everyone talking about? What's yep. cool, what's interesting? You don't necessarily search for something, you're just like, what is everyone finding? And so that's kind of the, the um, that's the use case that we're serving today, but we're seeing more and more of this explicit use case emerging, so search. Search is really fascinating as it relates to Product Hunt. People are coming to Product Hunt saying, I need a better PowerPoint like uh, option, or I want to explore new email apps, or I need to find a, a better way to watch movies on Netflix. Yeah. And people are then searching for those products, and they're using Product Hunt as a search engine for products. And it's, it's this curated feed. You have the upvotes to curate the quality of these products. You have the conversation if you really want to dig into them. And then we're also building out these connections of related products as well. So every product is related to other products that have been surfaced. And so for us, is, is a, as we think about what product is long term, there's a huge opportunity in product search and making that better and improving that experience. Because a lot of people today, they ask their friends or they search Google. Yeah. And if you search Google, you're, you're going to see some, some good things, but you're going to see like a Lifehacker article from 2012. Right. Might be interesting, but like outdated. You're going to see some SEO page or something that's like super manicured, and it's but not going to be what you want. This is why I think you really do have a great opportunity. What Google started out was a way for you to search for the things that you really wanted to know. Like mm -hmm. if you're going to Santa Barbara, show me the best hotels or the best restaurants, or you want to search for doctor information or a great film, right? Mm -hmm. That's really what Google was. But the business of Google has ruined that. And there's so much between you and the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you try typing anything that has value, restaurant, hotel, travel, product, mm -hmm. there's everything between you and the good stuff is gamed because you get these mega sites that drive traffic that can pay to have product placement. And instead mm -hmm. of, you know, it's like slotting, instead of having a tiny bit of SEM at the top, like SEM takes over the page. Yeah. And if you can authentically help people searching for information about products of various mm -hmm. types and get them closer to authentically finding that, I think you have a real opportunity that mm -hmm. Google no longer serves. Yeah, uh, and it's an exciting opportunity. That's something that I didn't think about when Product Hunt started off as an email list. Like You would, would have never thought that Product Hunt could potentially be the place to search for products in the future. And when I say products, it also includes 
things outside of the tech world, but like even games and movies and all podcasts. All Have that. you moved out of hip tech hipster yet? <laughs> and, and, and which markets do you find attractive? Or if you yeah. don't want to say, you don't have to say. I'm okay. Actually, this will air in uh, a week or two, yeah. maybe. Um, so by the time this airs, we will have launched games, actually. So okay. games is our first category expansion. And reason for, for that is game. When are you launching games? So I'll make sure not to publish this until then. Um, Wednesday. Wednesday. So very soon. I won't publish yeah. it before Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and I'm okay. Like, it's, it's something that we've actually been kind of teasing a little bit. So okay. it's not going to be super surprising to people. But games will be our first category expansion. It'll be a beta. So it won't be a full kind of blown launch. But we'll be launching that. And then we have a number of other categories that we'll be expanding into. Um, what we need to do is... Ultimately, for it to succeed, we need to build a community of people that love games. And we already have a really good base right now. Um, but then we have to redo that again and again in other categories. It, it is hard um, to do the multi-vertical. If I look at things like Tech Meme, mm -hmm. which started as a great place. And I think for some people still is a great place to go find out the news of what's going on. And then you look at Media Gazer, which was supposed to be politics. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the numbers, but I would guess yeah. it's nowhere near what Tech Meme is to tech. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard as you go into. It's extremely hard. It, it's also from a product design design perspective. We're also exploring. I mean, this might sound <coughs> egotistical, but like new areas of what this product could look like. It's over time going to mix in video content, music, video games, tech. Like, how do you how do you consume all of these different types of mediums in one experience that makes sense? And how do you how do you imagine incorporating video? Video is it's something we actually are, are also launching some redesigns as well that incorporate more video and imagery into Product Hunt. And what I would love to see is the ability to watch a video and it still explore the site. So it's not going to be a full screen takeover, sit there, lean back and watch it. But maybe you should be able to watch a video and then start looking at other games or other movies or whatever you're, you're browsing. Um, and then also on the mobile side, we're redesigning the mobile app. Um, we just literally did a brainstorm meeting five days ago. Um, of what possibly could we do on mobile. And I really want to just take a crack at like forgetting that we even have a mobile app because frankly, I'm not pleased with it now. I think mm -hmm. it could be much better. And thinking about what the context of mobile makes sense. Um, because right now it's basically a port of our website, which is not the best experience in my opinion. Now, as I try to drive this interview home, I do want to spend a few minutes, if you have them, to talk about entrepreneur entrepreneurship more broadly. Do you have mm -hmm. a couple minutes? Absolutely. So... <clears throat> You went from being a product guy, because you did product at Playhaven? Or? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and first of all, you didn't study engineering or product, right? Like you're a business undergrad. Mm -hmm. What was the first thing you did after college? Marketing. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually an internship uh, senior year and then moved into full-time marketing role. And what was the company you did marketing for? It was called Instant Action. It was okay. an IEC company and it was in the video game space. So we were building a platform for gaming. So you did marketing. How did you get into product? Like product's an area a lot of people yeah. want to work. How did you break into product? Honestly, so I, I didn't know what a product manager was maybe six months before I became one. Right. And so I, I joined as a marketer at Instant Action and I reported to Tony Yang, who is the VP of product. And I reported to him because we had no like formal marketing team and just that made sense. Um, I learned a ton from him and I just naturally gravitated towards like having product suggestions and thinking about products and I've always kind of thought about, I've always had that, that feeling like my dad is an entrepreneur as well. And he identified that and he said, hey Ryan, would you, maybe you should be a product manager. Like we're looking for to hire a product manager, you want to move into this role? And I'm like, that sounds amazing, I would love to do that. Um, I was terrible, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but I got thrown into the fire and he taught me and I learned along the way. 
And then from there, I moved on to Playhaven and, and did product there as well. And so what advice would you give for people who want to go into product but have never done product? I think it's super hard to get into because there are very few product manager roles compared to engineering and, and even design. Um, and so it's, it's really hard to get into. So those that, I, I would have, people email me about this all the time. I think part of it is, is working on side products. If you have no opportunity directly to get into product, just do some side products, demonstrate that you can create a product yourself and think about what consumers want and actually just go through that process. And that's what we see on Prompton a lot is people just building side projects and things. Um, I was emailing with uh, someone named Brent Chow who I, we've been following each other for a long time on Twitter and he's looking to move into a product role and he's now created one Product Hunt integrated app uh, and now he's building another one which is actually a Slack integration with Product Hunt okay. where you can search on Product Hunt in Slack and he's actively looking to join a, a product company he's doing the exact right things. He's building this side project, exploring ideas and demonstrating that and you can so think about this stuff. even though he's not going to necessarily make money out of anything, he's learning the experience of doing it. Mm -hmm. He's building something that's useful to you, so you're willing to give him time and attention. And he's got not only the experience and people who will provide mentorship, but now he's got something he can demonstrate to someone who may want to hire him. Exactly. It's it's really, really hard to to take a risk on people you don't know. And especially in a product role where you require a lot of autonomy, you have to demonstrate that you can you can actually think like a product person or build something yourself. And you know, the thing I would say about product people is, you know, I always I look to people like David Sachs to me is the ultimate product guy, product thinker founder of, uh, well, he was the COO at PayPal, founder of Genie, and then founder of Yammer. Mm -hmm. And you know the old saying is, um, what is a camel? A camel is a horse designed by a committee. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he always said, what you really want in a company is a product czar, mm -hmm. like a product dictator. Like, you can't really, like, when you get a community involved in making really tough, because products about really tough design decisions usually about what you don't include and about oh, staying yeah, true absolutely. and about staying true to your vision because mm -hmm. you build more and more and more features because everyone has an opinion mm -hmm. and then you end up with a camel yeah and so that's the hard thing i think about getting into product is how could you really trust someone who doesn't really have that experience but i guess mm -hmm. you know you're you're what's the guy you were mentioning before? tony yang tony yang yeah. like he probably made a ton of mistakes in doing that, but you develop a sense for what's right and wrong, and then yeah. you're ready for it when it comes. Yeah, I mean, even at Playhaven, I we we built a, a new dashboard when I joined shortly after we kind of pivoted the company, rebuilt the entire product, and it was very simple, a very clean dashboard. It did a couple things, and then over the course of a couple of years, we added more and more features. And I, in hindsight, realized like, why the hell did I did I prioritize this? Why did I build this thing? And there were a number of things that we then ultimately removed and no one noticed. It's, the best yeah. thing is when you remove a feature and no one notices. We've done that on Product Hunt actually as well. And um, sometimes it's really easy to think that a new feature is going to make it a better experience. People on Product Hunt are asking for a lot of things like, um, I want to follow collections. And that's an interesting idea. That's like the obvious solution to what they want to do. They want to stay up to date on this category of products. But is it the right solution? I'm not convinced. Um, and we get tons of, of feedback and ideas for, for features, but like we had to be focused. And then you went from product manager to CEO? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what have you learned from that? I think a product manager is probably the best role in most companies to then migrate into a CEO role. 
because you talk with so many people from designers to engineers and everyone and you, you're well equipped to communicate and also understand the different roles in a company. Um, and then you also, I think, maybe I have a bias, but I think product CEOs are, are generally what I would tend to trust more. Um, mm -hmm. Not that uh, design, design and product are kind of very similar in some ways. Um, but then when it comes to like CEO, like I'm still learning a lot of stuff. I, Steven Snofsky is on, on the board and mentor of mine and helps a lot with some of the, the things that I have no experience in. I've never managed a team. Um, right. Product management is all managed indirectly. And so now I'm like, we have 17 people full time and it's like freaking scary because um, like people are the hardest thing. They're unpredictable. Yeah. Um, they're the most important thing. Uh, I'm recruiting and hiring and doing that thing too. I've made a few mistakes already. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's something that you have to learn on the job. And um, I think the best advice I would have for people starting a company and becoming a CEO is is just get really good people around you to teach you. And Did you ever hear of the Peter Principle? No. So this is, again, just a sign of age. Um, <clears throat> the Peter Principle was a really popular concept when I first started in business in the early 90s, and I think it actually is from the 80s or older. But the idea is that everybody rises to your level of incompetence. <laughs> and what it basically was profiling, like the example they give is a great teacher often is somebody who's great with children. Let's take it's like a second grade teacher and you're great with children and mm -hmm. you know how to inspire them and get them to think and get them to have achievements and do rather than tell. Mm -hmm. And the best teachers eventually rise to become principals. Mm -hmm. And the job of principal is different. It's good that you actually understand how to educate for children, right. but now you're managing teachers right. and trying to inspire teachers who inspire children. It's a different job. And by the way, now you're having to deal a lot more with parents, mm -hmm. unhappy parents, parents whose kids aren't thriving. Mm -hmm. The best principals become superintendents. Mm -hmm. And superintendents now a community role. It's really now like community governance and how you deal with the community writ large. And so there's like the skills that are required at each level are different and everybody thinks they always want the level above them. Mm -hmm. And then you rise to a level where you're like, I'm no longer good at this or <laughs> yeah. maybe no longer having fun. Right. And I always, the only reason I point that out is some product people make great CEOs, some product people, I mean, so of every role, CEO is a freaking hard job. Mm -hmm. And what it really is ultimately, Ryan, and I think you've started to um, expand on this, it's a people management job is what mm -hmm. it is. Yep. And that's like the people who shy away from that part of the job because they're like, I just want to focus on product. Mm -hmm. I think top out and maybe you can run a product oriented company for two, three years. But once it reaches like 50, 70, 100, 120 people, it can't be product. It's guy totally anymore. different. Yeah. I mean, I'm already removing more and more responsibility. And I've traditionally my, my and I think a lot of people have this, especially entrepreneurs, they have this, um, they want to do a lot of things and own things and really push it through. And I have to just, I re keep reminding myself, like, ultimately for us to succeed, uh, we need to make people more autonomous and have ownership and, and learn to let go. Um, the thing is finding the right people that you can trust to let, the, to let things go. Um, getting better at that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like longer term, I'm going to be doing less product specific things and less community things and less everything <laughs> and more company building and team building stuff. Job of CEO is chief adjudicator. If your team's not fighting, 
it's because you're either not recruiting a talented enough team or you haven't really built a business. Mm -hmm. And I say that like half in jest, but <clears throat> if you hire really talented people, marketing, sales, business development, product, engineering, support, you name it. Mm -hmm. If you hire the most talented people, they always want to grow and rise and have more responsibility and have more budget. And usually in a startup, it's zero sum game. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, 300K that I give in budget to your team is 300K I don't give to your team. Right. 0.25 options that I allocate for you to go hire people's 0.25 I don't have over here. Mm -hmm. And so you have this tension. And what I see, the mistake I see is a lot of CEOs. Who are first time who don't like conflict mm -hmm. so they just always avoid that yeah and then the problems fester at a certain level or they create fudges or workarounds or play favorites and you really do need to actively engage and lead and sometimes say okay you're gonna win this time I'm not choosing you mm -hmm. I mean that I, you probably are it's probably too new in the journey for you to yet see that, but that's almost always Definitely not that specific use case, but um, my personality is one to avoid conflict, just to be 100% honest, and um, sometimes not being as direct as I should. Yeah. And I'm learning to get better at that, because ultimately I have to, or we're not gonna do very well. Well, <laughs> not to be preachy, but the one advice I give is, just remember your job is to be respected, not loved. Mm -hmm. Because love implies that sometimes you'll make the wrong decision to maintain the feeling like, oh, Ryan's a good guy. Yeah. And sometimes you have to make the tough calls. And if you're transparent about the tough calls that you're making, usually people will respect you. Yeah. And otherwise, everyone's constantly grinding you and you constantly have to feed the love beast. And it's really, yeah. really hard to do that long term. I like term. that. Now, last thing, venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. You've gotten money from Andreessen Horowitz, arguably the most important VC that's been created in the last five or eight years amongst the top 10 firms. Um, they seem to be the founder's choice these days. For mm -hmm. most founders I talk to say they're really founder friendly. Mm -hmm. What has it been like to work with them and what advice would you give people on both how to get access to VCs and how to manage the relationship? Yeah. So Andreessen Horowitz is one of their unique contributions and we're seeing more and more VCs move in this direction is they have so many value added services and, and people to support you. And especially as a new company, we don't have like a big giant marketing team or and other uh, pieces of support that we will have in the future. And so they've helped a lot with recruiting. They've helped uh, recruit our designers, um, someone else on the operations side, Corley, joined the team through Andreessen Horowitz. And so recruiting is like the most important thing, arguably, and they have a huge team, uh, the talent team that does help with that. Um, they also have a number of other services and things that they help with, like building connections with big brands or other types of BD-related activity. I went down there a couple weeks ago to meet with someone uh, for some potential partnership opportunities and, and those types of things. And so for, for that, it's, it's, they're very helpful. Um, Steven Snofsky is on the board as well. Has just been, I've gotten to know him over the past eight months or so. He's fantastic because he's, his experience is exactly what I lack. He was a senior exec at Microsoft. That's right, right. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's extremely passionate about product and totally believes in what we're doing. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on the board. But he has good advice and experience um, that I, has been very helpful for me so far. Um, 
was the second part of your question? Oh, just like how, how, do, you, get how, do, you, how do you get access and then yeah. how do you work with them? Like, yeah. do you have board meetings? How much reporting do they expect? You know, yeah. how much effort do you put into that? Yeah, so we, we've had two board meetings now and we do them quarterly. And I do it with Stephen and the most recent was also Josh Cook, our lawyer. And um, so pretty standard kind of like reporting process. Me and Stephen, though, are in like text messages. Uh, every week we're messaging back. We meet once every couple of weeks or so. And so he's very plugged in where we're at, and he's um, sort of liaison for the most part, although I still speak with a lot of other partners and other people at Andreessen Horitz. Um, in terms of getting access, if you're wanting to raise money, or whether it's Andreessen Horitz or other firms, I think it gets back to what we were talking about before and building really authentic relationships. So we have 12 to 13 or so firms and individuals invested in Product Hunt uh, from the seed in Series A. And most, I think all of those people I knew before Product Hunt existed. Um, some of them like months, if not years before. So get to know people early would mm -hmm. be your advice. Yep. Good, yep. good to hear that. Listen, I could uh, go another hour, but yep. I'm going to be respectful of your time. Ryan, I really not only appreciate you coming in and spending time uh, talking about topics of the day, but I really authentically am super happy to see the success of Product Hunt. Um, you struck me as somebody before you created Product Hunt as someone who was um, going to do interesting things, and I've enjoyed watching your success from the sideline. Yeah, and and going back to like blogging and putting yourself out there, you you've been blogging for several years, and that's how I I first got connected with you and and been following you on Twitter. So I really appreciate people who are honestly putting this content out there and like talking about the things and writing about the things that aren't being talked about, especially from a VC perspective where some people's like in, intention and their motivation is to keep it secret. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been the exact opposite of that. Yeah, no, I appreciate so. it. And sometimes you get side swipes for doing it, but take, I figure, you, take it. yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> worth getting some negativity with some positivity. Yeah. So thanks again. Totally. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.